So it's an honour to say hello to Rini Salt, Holocaust survivor on Holocaust Memorial Day. Hello. Hello. Do you mind if I just start with the day you were transported to Auschwitz? You've been working at a yeah. ghetto in Poland and the Germans came into your <coughs> came into your place of work. Yes. And they brought us all down to the quadrangles and told us and told us that we'll be sent away the ghetto's going to be closed down. We'll be sent away to working places where co- uh, conditions will be much better. They promised us good food, good medical care, and um, only we should come to the station voluntarily. And from there we'll be sent away. Well, at first people didn't want to go, but conditions in the ghetto worsened to such an extent that we had nothing to lose. They started closing down factories, they stopped sending food into the ghetto, so people started going to the stations from where they were sent away. And how old were you at this point, really? Fourteen. Okay, so you're very conscious of what was happening and you have a very, I'm guessing, clear memory of it. I'm sorry, I was just 15 already mm-hmm. sure. by then. Yes. So did you did you realize where you were when you arrived at Auschwitz? No, we didn't have a clue where we were going. Um, we we're hoping it'll get better. We'll have a better life than in the ghetto, but we didn't know anything till we arrived there. And you were you were on a train and I gather you just followed your father off it, did you? Yeah, when we arrived there, they opened up the great doors and the screaming and bellowing, get off the train, get a move on, be quick. Well, my father jumped off first and I jumped after him. By the time I jumped off, I didn't see him anymore. He disappeared like into thin air without a kiss or goodbye. He disappeared. I never saw him again. They took men to one side and women to the other side. At the head of the queue, the guards moved in and some of them said to us, you are here now in Auschwitz-Birkenau. This is the place where people are being taken straight to the guest chambers. All around us was electrified, illuminated fencing and above them stood a rank of high watchtowers. It was so terribly frightening. And um, they lined us up in five. At the head of the queue, a selection process was being conducted by the infamous Dr Mengele, the butcher of Auschwitz, we learned later. Wherever he saw two people holding hands, he would deliberately split them up. With a flick of his fingers, he directed one to live and one to die. He took all old people, invalids, people who didn't look fit for work. All went to the right, the rest went to the left. When I got through to the left, I was together with my mother, for which she was very grateful, and so was I. From there, they lined us up, and they took us right to the end of the, right to the end of the, the camp. When we got there, they told us to strip, leave our clothes on the benches. A hairdresser was going around cutting everybody's hair, shaving everybody's head. All hair was shaved off of the people. They the. Guards were walking around collecting any valuables that anybody had. And uh, from there, they, we were taken into a room which looked like a shower room. 
we thought that is our last moment, but in fact, they still needed us. Water came through in the shower room, not gas. They still needed us for very hard work. So we were the lucky ones. When we came out of the shower room, they gave us some clothes to put on. Now, to give you an example, they gave me a large skirt which didn't stand up in a men's pyjama jacket, and that was all. And everybody else got some silly clothes like that. My mother cut off, tore off a piece of the pyjama jacket and tied up the skirt. It shouldn't fall down. And then they, they took a register of us. Till we came there... From the lodge ghetto, they used to tattoo numbers on the on your left wrist, on your left hand. But when we got there, they didn't do it anymore. They gave us a number on a piece of white oblong linen with black lettering. That was our number till the end of the war. We had to pin that on, one in the front and one in the back, on whatever we, we wore. So... Uh, in the it's incredible. We it's, it's just, it, I'm, it's just incredible to hear you speaking about it. Um, I tell you what, can I can I just play some music quickly while we just think about what you're saying because it's almost too much to take in. Sure. I've just sure. chosen something, and it's it's it, it came to my attention recently because a Greek composer died who wrote what was described as the most beautiful musical work ever written about the Holocaust. So. His name is uh, Mikos Thordorakis, and it's from the Ballad of Mauthausen. Mauthausen is a concentration camp, and it contains the words, If there is a God in heaven, where was he sleeping? of this in Hebrew, O children of Auschwitz, O children of Dachau, O come tell me what became of love. If there is a God in heaven, where was he sleeping?
So the Greek composer Mikis Theodorakis wrote this called The Ballad of Mauthausen about Mauthausen concentration camp and the words were written by a Greek poet who was a survivor of that concentration camp. And I wonder, Rini, what, what you thought as a little girl about where God was? We did. We often said, where is God? How can he look, watch, watch it, what's happening? But uh, there was no answer to that. You described when we spoke, Rini, that you went into the shower room and you thought it you were going to be gassed. But, gassed, yeah. But water but came we were, out. Yeah, that's right. We were the lucky ones. They still needed us for very hard work. Tell us about your journey to Bergen-Belsen, another concentration camp. Oh, I was first in Hamburg. From Auschwitz, I was sent to Hamburg Harbour and to the docks on slave labour. We were working very hard. The work was, was very hard and dangerous. We had to take apart the broken up bro- blocks of flats because the bombs were falling all the time over Hamburg. And so there were plenty of blocks to be, be um, demolished. We had to put whole bricks onto one lorry and broken bricks on other lorries. We didn't have any gloves in winter. My, I didn't feel my fingers. They were dead numb from, from the cold. I'm guessing and that uh, you, you must... I was wondering, you as a little girl must have been cold nearly all the time. Not just cold, but freezing cold. I, I suffered from cold more than from hunger, if that's possible. It was terribly, terribly cold. And people were dying f- from the cold. So eventually they had to give us a coat to put on, otherwise no one would survive. We were, were working very hard on very meagre rations. Our rations consisted of a sh- small chunk of bread and a ta- tablespoon either sugar or marmalade or a, a thin slice of liver salami and some dirty-looking water, which they called coffee. And on this, we had to work so very hard. No mm. wonder people were dying. Your mother was severely injured one day by a bull. Yeah. yeah. One day we were working near a slaughterhouse in either Hamburg uh, Sternschanzer or Hamburg Altona. I don't remember which one of the two. And they let out a bull. First they told us that the bull ran out, but I know now better. They let out a bull to attack the people. And this bull attacked my mother very, very badly, cut open all her face. And from that day on, she could never go to work anymore. She was laying in a, a sick bay in the camp, very seriously ill. But as, as I said, Hamburg was not the end of your journey because they sent you further no, on. No, that's right. One day they took us out from the camp and left us sitting near the railway lines, which were coming in right to the, right to the camp. And in the morning... They packed us in very tightly into these cattle trucks. They gave us a pair of shoes, not to this, to your size, or two different shoes. It could have been a boot in a sandal or a sandal in a, in a boot, and not to your size. And people tried very, to swap around with one another the best they could, as best as they could. Yes, they so they sent us to Bergen-Belsen. In Bergen-Belsen, to this... Well, once we arrived there, they, again, they opened up the doors and they started yelling, get off the train, be quick. But by then, we didn't have any strength to jump off the trains anymore. We just rolled off 
and had to have hold on to one another to remain standing. My mother was taken, but and she was in a different, in a dif- different track from me. They took her on a on a stretcher, so I didn't see her. Uh, and she started walking through several miles of a very wooded area mm. till we came to the camp. Once we arrived there, they opened up the doors and they started screaming, be quick, hurry up. We got through this, we got through, and what we saw there is impossible to describe. Here we saw skeletons walking. Their arms and legs were like matchsticks. Their eyes protruding through their ragged, their bones protruding through their ragged remains of skin. Some were dressed in rags, others were naked. The stench that arose from the camp is impossible to describe. Our, our transport was taken to a hut, which was already overcrowded before we got in there. When, when we got in there, I didn't see my mother. I didn't know what happened to her, whether she died on the journey or whether they brought her into the camp. I didn't see her, and I was very terribly worried. I soon realized that some people told me we are in a place called Bergen-Belsen. By the time we arrived there, there was no more any kind of organization. They didn't. They stopped sending food into the camp. The water supply had been cut off. No wonder the vermin. The lice were crawling over everybody. Big black lice, fat ones. They were thriving on our blood. It it was simply. It's impossible to describe the conditions there. The dead were laying on top of the living, and the living were laying on top of the dead people. If you people that relieved themselves wherever they happened to stand, they didn't have any energy to go outside. Road. There was no more any roll calls like in all the other camps. There was no food distribution. There was nothing. We we are just dying day by day. Everybody was dying. I I knew that. I knew that after two days, I found my mother in one of the of the huts, still alive, on one of the stretchers. I could see, I could tell she was dying. She knew it herself because she told me not I shouldn't cry when she died. Yeah. And so I stayed with my mother. After several days, I walked outside. When I walked outside, I noticed that all the, the German officers, the men and the women, they were have they wore white armbands on their on on their arms. This is a sign that they wanted to hand the camp over. But we also knew that we can't last much longer. In fact, I collapsed there. I was unconscious. Someone took me back into the hut to my mother. I don't know who. The next thing I knew, I was in a lousing center. I heard afterwards I, uh, that the, the British army arrived there on the 15th of April in the afternoon. But I, I, was, I was there, I was laying, being cleaned up, being disinfected, wrapped up in clean, we were wrapped up in clean blankets and we were taken in the clean vehicles six kilometers away to a to a, another camp 
It was really the largest tank training school in Europe. It was a beautiful place. But when the British army arrived there, they took out all the survivors from Bergen-Belsen. They took them in there. We each had a clean bed with clean bedding. And can you imagine, they, they brought German doctors and German nurses to look after us. Yeah. How they looked, how they felt after all this time. That's incredible. At first we were fed with a quarter of a slice of bread, topped with a teaspoonful of with stewed apples. We thought it, was, it was, wasn't right because we were so hungry. But they didn't want to give us any more because people who had started eating more collapsed and died. We couldn't digest food anymore. And that's how it was. Oh, 